Father in heaven, as we come to study your word once more, I pray that you would bless us with wisdom and understanding. Help us to be Daniels, O Lord, and help us to understand this important part of our study that we're in. Lord, you've told us that this verse that we're looking at tonight is a central pillar of the Advent faith. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to understand this with clear minds, that we may be able to give a reason of the hope that we have in us. Bless us now with the Holy Spirit, for you promised that you would give him if we asked, and where two or three are gathered in your name. So, Lord, we ask in faith, knowing that you'd send the Holy Spirit this evening. Bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, we are going to be looking at the cleansing of the sanctuary. That takes us back to Daniel chapter 8. We looked at Daniel chapter 9 already. Now, when we looked at that in our previous class, we established this fact. The purpose that Daniel 9 exists, the reason why Daniel 9 exists, is to help us establish one thing and one thing alone. That is the starting date of the 2300-day prophecy. Because we realized that the starting of the 70-week prophecy in Daniel 9 coincides with the starting date of the 2300-day prophecy because the 70 weeks were cut out. They were cut out from the 2300 days, hence giving us a starting date to establish the 2300-day prophecy. Now let's go back and refresh on this verse found in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8, and we're looking at verse 14. We read a quote last time by Sister White where she said that this verse is the central pillar of our faith, the central pillar of the evident faith. So friends, we need to be able to explain this. It doesn't matter what occupation or what background you are, you've got to be able to explain your central pillar because you you can't explain that. Everything falls or crumbles around it. Daniel 8.14 And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So if we establish this date as beginning in 457 BC and we add 2300 years to it or 2300 days of atonement, we're going to look at this concept in a moment. But if we add 2300 years to it, what does it bring us to? 1844 and specifically October 22nd. October 22nd, 1844. Now, this event that took place, or that, took, that will take place, really for Daniel, it was future to him, that took place in 1844 was the cleansing of the sanctuary. Now this evening, what I want to look at is what does it mean, the cleansing of the sanctuary? Because within this verse, Daniel 8.14, it gives us the time duration. We got the starting date from Daniel 9, and we got the event that takes place at the end of this 2300 days, which is the cleansing of the sanctuary. That is the only thing that has been left unexplained or that has not been explained up to this point in time. And so we need to understand this evening, we're going to be looking at this concept of the cleansing of the sanctuary. What does it mean? And so let's look at it this evening, okay? What does it mean to cleanse the sanctuary? Now let's look at the type. You see, the sanctuary on earth was a type of what was to heaven to happen in the heavenly sanctuary. We know this by looking at Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. Let's go there. 
Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9, we realized that what happens in the earthly sanctuary is a type or a foreshadow or a shadow of what's going to happen in the heavenly. Let's look at Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Verse 9, According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. So in Exodus 25, and specifically verse 9, we see there in verse 8, God tells Moses, build me a sanctuary that I can dwell amongst you. And then in verse 9, he says, I'm going to show you a pattern though. So I'm going to show you a pattern. And how did God show him a pattern? Basically, I could just imagine God opening up the clouds of heaven and says, look, just look in here. This is what my sanctuary in heaven looks like. And I want you to build it after or according to what you see here. He showed Moses a pattern. Now we go over to Hebrews now. We're going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And don't let anybody tell you that the sanctuary message does not exist in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews tells us very clearly. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. These are two texts that we use, and there's more out there, but these are two texts that we use, one in Exodus, one in Hebrews 8, verses 1 and 2, to establish that there is a heavenly sanctuary. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 8, verses 1 and 2. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. So a high priest. We see that in the earthly sanctuary. We see that in now heavenly sanctuary. Verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So certainly the one on earth man pitched, but there is a sanctuary that is in heaven that God pitched and not man. So this tells us that there is a sanctuary in heaven. So we see the sanctuary that exists on earth was just a type. It was a foreshadow. It was telling us of things to come. The ceremonies, the way the priest was dressed, different things that we see in the sanctuary is a message that is given to us of what we can find in the heavenly. Now come with me to Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 16. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 16. Now we're going to look at some service that was mentioned of in the earthly sanctuary, which gives us a clear idea what this cleansing of the sanctuary is in the heavens. Because in 1844, when the cleansing of the sanctuary was to take place, a sanctuary literally on earth did not exist. You see, after the death of Jesus Christ, what happened? The veil ripped from top to bottom, signifying that the earthly sanctuary was no more. And from then on, the heavenly sanctuary message was established. And so we know that when it's talking about the cleansing of the sanctuary in regard to Daniel 8.14, it's regarding or talking about the cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven. But what is this cleansing talking about? We get an idea from the sanctuary on earth back in the olden times. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 16. 
The Bible says, And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Now notice this, in verse 16 it says, He shall make an atonement for what? The holy place. What was the holy place? If you look at that word holy place, the concordance there listed out as the word kodesh. Does that word sound familiar? That, he, that number in the Strong's Concordance, for those who want to write it down, is 6944. <clears throat> and it meant kodesh, which was a holy place referring to really the sanctuary. So when it says that he shall make an atonement for the holy place, it says that he will make an atonement for what? The sanctuary. Now that word atonement, what does that mean? If you look up in Strong's Concordance, the number there is 3722. 3722. And that word atonement means to appease, to cleanse, to disannul, to forgive, and to reconcile. Let me say these again. That word atonement meant appease, cleanse, disannul, forgive, and reconcile. And we're particularly interested in the word cleanse there. So even in the Old Testament time, Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 16 tells us when atonement was made for the holy place, the sanctuary, it said that the sanctuary was cleansed. So here we're seeing a cleansing of the sanctuary that happened in the Old Testament times. Now, what was the purpose of this cleansing? Let's look at that verse again, verse 16 of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16. He shall make an atonement for the holy place because we're about to get a reason of why the holy place needed to be cleansed because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. So why did the sanctuary have to be cleansed? Because of the uncleanness, because of their transgressions, because of all their sins. So somehow the cleansing of the sanctuary is got to do with the cleansing of sins or to do with transgressions and sins of the children of Israel back then. Okay? So that is what it represented. Now let's go down to verse 30 of Leviticus chapter 16. Keep this in mind, okay? We realize here, we look, we look so far that this uh, atonement for the holy place is a cleansing of the sanctuary in regard to sins. Now verse 30 of Leviticus chapter 16. For on that day, speaking of that same time, shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. So really the purpose of this cleansing of the sanctuary was not just to, in regard to sin in that sense, but to cleanse us from our sins. So it was a cleaning away or getting rid of sins. So now we're just, we're building and we're getting a picture here. Cleansing of sins in regard to what? People being cleansed from their sins. But let's now look at verse 33 of Leviticus chapter 16. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. So there you go. We're seeing now another cleansing of the sanctuary. Same point 
in what it's talking about in verse 16. But it says, And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation, and for the altar, and he shall make an atonement for the priests, and for all the people of the congregation. So really this atonement, this cleansing way of sins, is really very closely related to cleansing way of sin from the people. Why? Because what happened here? Why is this cleansing of the sanctuary needed? I mean, you've got to understand the services that happened in the Old Testament times. Now let's step through this, okay? When a person sinned, what did they have to do? What was the first step they had to do? They had to bring a lamb to the sanctuary. And they killed the lamb with their own hands, okay? We don't have time to go through all the details in the Bible that talks about it, but it's there. You read it. They had to kill that lamb with their own hands and shed that blood. Why? Because the life was in the blood. Because for the wages of sin is what? Death. In order to have life, you need to shed that blood. And what happened was a priest collected in a bowl. Of course, he sacrificed the lamb upon the altar. But then the priest went and washed his hands and his feet with a laver, and he went into the holy place. And there he ministered. And this didn't have to be a high priest. There were priests that ministered on a daily basis this, this service because there were sinners every day coming to the sanctuary. So every day they would go in and they would take this blood and sprinkle it before the veil and before the holy tabernacle. And this blood was a record of the sins of the people in the sanctuary. Okay? And what happened was from that point, the person is forgiven because when he kills up the lamb, they put their hand on their head and they ask for forgiveness and they place the sins upon that lamb. And so that sins, that blood goes into the sanctuary and in the sanctuary, the sins are recorded. Remember Jeremiah 17.1, with a point of a diamond, with a pen, is the sins of Judah written. Okay? And that's how we know that that is another book that was opened in the judgment. We looked at that in Daniel 7. But here... We see now blood is in the sanctuary. And so when this priest goes in to cleanse the sanctuary, what's he doing? He's cleansing it away of sin, away of that blood, because the blood there was holding the sin, and that was what it represented. And so that's why we're looking here in Leviticus 16. That's why the ceremony, this atonement, is, has to be made to cleanse away sin. So on the Day of Atonement, was that time when the sanctuary was to be cleansed away from all that blood, to be cleansed from sin, okay? That is the main idea we're pulling out here at the moment. We still have not got a full picture of what the cleansing of the sanctuary is. So let's move on. How often did this day of atonement take place? Verse 34 of Leviticus chapter 16. And so you're beginning to see that if you want to study the day of atonement, study Leviticus chapter 16. It's there. Verse 34, how often does it take place? And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins, how often? Once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So how often was a day of atonement to occur? Once a year. So that's how, you know, if people say, look, this day year principle does not fit in. This 2300 days really is literal days. Well, unto 2300 days and shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Really, you're looking at 
2300 days of atonement. And the days of atonement only existed or went on once a year. So really, if you're having one thing once a year, it's 2300 years for it to take place, for its fulfillment. So after 2300 days of atonement, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So day of atonement took place once a year. But how important was this day of atonement in regards to the people of Israel and the sanctuary? How important was it? Let's go over to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. These are the two chapters that mainly talk about the Day of Atonement. And really the book of Leviticus is dealing with the sanctuary mainly. The sanctuary and its services. But in Leviticus chapter 23, we read how important was this Day of Atonement. Let's start with verse 28 to 30. Leviticus chapter 23, starting with verse 28. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. Speaking of the same event, verse 29. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be what? Cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. So this was a salvational issue. If they did work, if they didn't afflict their souls, they were cut off, they were destroyed. So this was a, a life-saving issue. You either were alive at the end of it or you weren't. So, very important. This Day of Atonement was the climactic event of the whole year because the whole year they'd been confessing, confessing their sins and their sins had been com, um, put into the sanctuary. And that high priest would go in there and cleanse it out. And if they did not afflict their souls or not do any work, they were killed. Now, let's look at this next question that we ask ourselves. What happened then after the sanctuary was cleansed? All right? Now, we know the cleansing of the sanctuary has in regards to what? Washing away or cleansing away of sins. And if you did not confess, if you did not afflict your souls and not do any work, then you'd be cut off. And really, that's a salvational issue. You'd be dead. You lost your salvation there. But what happens to those that do? In Leviticus 16, we go back there. We see what happens after the sanctuary was cleansed. Chapter 16, and we're looking at verses 20 to 22. Now, I want to remind you, the reason why we're looking at the earthly sanctuary is because it's a type. It shows us what's happening in the heavenly sanctuary. Okay, so let's look at verse 20 of Leviticus chapter 16. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goats and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited and he shall let go the goat into the wilderness. So what happens? The goat that is brought in has all the sins of Israel. It bears all the sins of Israel. 
and it's led into the wilderness. Now, what is the significance of putting the sins on the goat and releasing it into the wilderness? Remember, this was to be done after the cleansing of the sanctuary, okay? What does that word cleansed mean in Daniel 8.14? It'll help us to answer the question about the significance of the sins being put on the head of the goat and being led into the wilderness. What does that word cleanse mean in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14? Unto 2,300 days then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. That word there means tzadak, T-S-A-D-A-Q. Let me write this up. T-S-A-D-A-Q. And the number there is 6663. In reference to the word cleansed from Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14. Now that word there, cleansed, it means this, to justify, to do justice, or to turn to righteousness. Let me say that again, to justify, to do justice, or to turn to righteousness. Now what happens when a place is justified? I want to look at this, okay? We must remember that it must be in reference to sin. Because the cleansing of the sanctuary in Leviticus 16 and 23 that we looked at was in reference to the removal of the sins of Israel and it was placed upon the goat. So when we look at that in relation to Daniel 8.14, when the sanctuary was cleansed, it was justified. So what happens when a place is justified, okay? Or a person is justified. Now let's look at a few texts. Isaiah 43. Isaiah chapter 43. And starting with verse 25. Isaiah 43, verses 25 to 26. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and will not remember thy sins. So when your sins are blotted out, or your transgressions are blotted out, you don't what? You don't remember your sins. Verse 26. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be what? Justified. So really, the true essence of justification is that we have our transgressions blotted out. We don't remember our sins. You see that? So if you're truly justified, if you're justified, you don't remember your sins anymore. Now let's go over to Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8 and verse 12 looking further about this word justified or even the word cleanse, that root word. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. The Bible says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Now remember, that word cleanse also means turn to righteousness. So God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That means we're being justified, we're being cleansed, we're being turned to righteousness. So the cleansing of the sanctuary has got a lot to do with God not remembering our sins anymore or blotting out our transgressions. Let's look at another one. Psalms 51. Psalms 51. I'm giving you examples of that word cleansed. 
in relation, in relation to God not remembering our sins anymore and especially blotting them out. Psalms 51. Now, what is this psalm about? Psalm 51. When did David write this psalm? He wrote it briefly after he killed Uriah and went and slept with his wife, whose name was what? Bathsheba. He wrote this. In Psalm 51, we start with verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So David is asking God, blot out my transgressions. Then he says in verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. So when David wants to be cleansed from his sin, in the same way that the Israelites are going to be cleansed from their sins in relation to the cleansing of the sanctuary, David is asking God, blot out my sins. Don't remember my iniquities. Don't remember my transgressions, God. And so when we're looking at the cleansing of the sanctuary, it's closely related to doing away with sin, but in such a way that God will blot them out. God will not remember our iniquities anymore. It's as if He looks at us as if we never sinned. Now, what does that word blot out mean in Psalms 51? In Isaiah 43, what does this word blot out mean? Well, let's go to another text, Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 19. What does that word blot out mean? Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 19. Therefore it shall be, when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, thou shalt not forget it. It says, thou shalt what? Blot out the remembrance. So when God blots something out, He doesn't want us to remember it. So blotting out has got a lot to do with God not remembering, or even us not remembering. So when God blots out our sins, He does not remember our sins anymore. He cleanses the sanctuary. He blots out or cleanses out the record of the sins that are written there in the sanctuary. So that's what the cleansing of the sanctuary has to do with. Now, a parallel word for cleanse in the New Testament that lines up with that word in Daniel 8.14, that word cleanse, tzadak, is found in Hebrews chapter 9. Let's go over there. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 23. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 23. Here's a parallel word that lines up with that word cleanse in Daniel 8.14. Hebrews 9.23, the Bible says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So it says it was therefore necessary that patterns of things in the heavens should be what? Purified. You see that word purified there? It lines up with the word cleanse. That's exactly what it means. It means to cleanse. And the... Uh, Strong's Concordance number found there is 2511. It means to cleanse. But what are we to be cleansed from? Based on the type found in the earthly sanctuary, it was to be cleansing from what? 
sin, that God can blot out the remembrance of sin, not just in in His mind, but also in our mind. But we also see in verse 22 of Hebrews 9, just the verse before that, it says, And almost all things are by the law purged with with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no what? Remission. So the shedding of blood, there needs to be that shedding of the blood. And as a result, there is a remission or a forgiving of sins. Now what does that word remission mean there in verse 22 of Hebrews 9? It means deliverance, forgiveness, liberty. A forgiveness of sins, a deliverance from sins, liberty from sin. That's what, that, that's what that word remission means. It has the same word as what that word atonement means. Remember, atonement also means to forgive. Found in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 23. So all these words that we're looking at, they're all tied up together. Day of Atonement in Leviticus is talking about forgiveness, cleansing. In Daniel 8.14, the word cleanse, it means to also forgive. Or to what? Wash away. To justify. To turn to righteousness. And then we find in Hebrews chapter 9, the same thing. Remission has the same word, forgiveness. It all comes back. So, when was the remission of sins to take place? Day of Atonement. It's clear, isn't it? Because that word remission lines up exactly with what we find in Day of Atonement, forgiveness. True forgiveness is justification. You're justified. True justification takes place when you don't remember your sins anymore. But now let's look at Hebrews 9 and look at verse 23, 24 and 25. When was remission of sins to take place? It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. So there it establishes another point that the earthly sanctuary was a type of the heavenly, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that He should offer Himself often as a high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. This is speaking of the high priest going into the holy place once a year. And that is referring to the most holy place. The high priest only went into the most holy place once a year. The priest went into the holy place, that first apartment of the sanctuary, every day to sprinkle that blood, right? But the high priest, that's why Jesus has to be our high priest. The high priest went into the most holy place once a year. This is referring to that most holy place in the heaven. But remember, if we look now back at Leviticus 16, that day of atonement, what we're really seeing here is that that is why Aaron was mentioned, because he was the high priest for the Israelite nation. And so he went into the most holy place once a year to cleanse it. Now in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 7, But into the second went the high priest alone. There you go, it's established. Into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of his people. So there it establishes the second apartment of the sanctuary 
There, the high priest went in once a year. So therefore, the significance of placing the sins on the goat and leading it into the wilderness was to signify that there was no to be no more remembrance of sins. You understand that? So if we look at the, the Old Testament sanctuary, okay? The Old Testament sanctuary. Every day, the, high, the priests went in and they sprinkled the blood, all right? But once a year, the high priest, it was Aaron, who was to be that high priest during that time, he went in once a year into the most holy place to cleanse the sanctuary. And what was the purpose of the cleansing of the sanctuary? To get rid of sin, so that we don't remember it and so that God doesn't remember it anymore, right? That is why after that, they took this and they placed it upon that goat and led him into the wilderness. Because the record of sins was to be brought away from the camp of the Israelites. That was a symbol of what it was meant to represent. And so that's why they had to put the, the sins on this goat. Because this goat was to bear the sins of all the Israelite nation. And they put him into the wilderness. After the day of atonement that exists on earth, the people were to remember, remember their sins no more. <laughs> However, that was not achieved. Why? I mean, after the day of atonement on earth, they were not to remember their sins anymore. Because the remembrance of sin was blotted out from the sanctuary. It was put on the goat and they, it went to the wilderness, right? But why did they still remember it? Because they kept sinning. Remember, 70 weeks is determined upon thy people to make an end of transgressions and an end of sins. The reason why they still remembered it is because they kept sinning. It brought back to their mind the things they did in the past. They could not make an end of sin. That was the purpose of the sanctuary, to help them make an end of sins, but they didn't. You see that? And we see this. I mean, the reason why they kept sinning, I mean, the reason why they kept remembering was because they kept sinning. Now, in Hebrews 10, I hope we're still in the book of Hebrews there. Hebrews 10, it makes it very clear. Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 1 through 3. Let's read this. Okay, let's look at this. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there unto perfect. It couldn't make them what? Perfect. Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. It's like, look, if you were perfect, you wouldn't have to keep sacrificing the lamb, right? But they weren't. Because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. So what is that perfect in regard to? They could still remember their sins. After the Day of Atonement, even though the record of sins was brought out from the sanctuary, they still remembered it. They weren't perfect. Verse 3, But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. They kept sacrificing. They kept going back. Why? Because they kept sinning. And so, as a result, they kept sacrificing the lambs. As a result, they couldn't make an end of sin. Their conscience was not perfect. You see that? But that was not God's plan. The, the plan, the, the sanctuary that on, on earth was to typify what was to happen. If you, for, if you ended your sins, you would forget them eventually. God would make your conscience perfect. Because, I mean, just imagine, for hundreds of years, not, doing, not sinning. I don't know what it means anymore to sin. What was that? 
you know, even of your conversion experience, when you have changed and God's changed and turned you around, He gives you new tastes, new desires, new life. And the life that you led was just, uh, just a faint memory. Just, it's hardly there. You see that? But they, they couldn't forget it. They couldn't forget their sins. Why? Because they kept sinning. So the purpose of the cleansing of the sanctuary was to cleanse the people of their sins, but not just that, but so they don't remember their sins anymore. Verse 4, let's read that. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take them away. Take away what? Their sins. That's why John the Baptist on that river, standing there preaching, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away. That word taketh away goes all the way to the point well, you, remember, you won't remember it anymore. You won't have any memory of it anymore. That taketh away the sins of the world. Now, in Hebrews 10.1, remember it said they couldn't be perfect. It was what? Perfect, not perfect in conscience. Not perfect because it kept remembering their sins. Now, what was to take place before the sanctuary could be justified or cleansed? Before you can justify, you know, that word justify is really the same word as cleanse there in Daniel 8 and verse 14. What had to take place before the sanctuary could be justified? Now let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25. What needs to take place before a person or a place or something can be justified, okay? What needs to take place? Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 1. If there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. This is the reason why we have a court system today. We can't settle the dispute between the two of us. Okay, we take it to court eyewitnesses, okay? And you have a judge there. But they say here, there was more than one judge. (laughs) But it says, if there be controversy between men, then they come unto judgment. Okay, now let's come to court. That the judges may judge between them, that they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. So it's to find out who is right, who is wrong, okay? But what had to take place before they could justify that man? Judgment. So before God can justify or cleanse a sanctuary, there needs to be a what? Judgment. So when in Daniel 8.14 it says, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed or justified. Really, we must understand that a judgment before that sanctuary can be cleansed or justified, a judgment must take place. You see that? An investigation had to take place to see who the righteous one was and the who the wicked one was, or what we call the investigative judgment. To determine what? What was the purpose of the judgment? To see who's righteous and see who's wicked. Now, what was to happen after the sanctuary had been justified? Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 23. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 23. What will take place after the sanctuary has been justified or cleansed? In verse 23 says, 
And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. What does a high priest do who was referring to Aaron? He shall take off his high priestly garments. So we haven't made this made great interpretation in regards to the date 1844 and what happened there yet. But we realize this. When we go back to Daniel 8.14 and it says, And unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. We realize that the cleansing of the sanctuary has got to do with what? Justification. The Day of Atonement. That what happened in this day that God, or well, pardon me, the high priest was to cleanse away their sins so that people would not remember them anymore. And we know and we realize that Jesus is a high priest. We're going to look at some texts in the future there. But after they don't remember anymore, it's really a blooding out of sins. And after that, when that had been done, Aaron would come out and he would take off his high priestly garments. This is the process that happened. But of course, before the sanctuary can be cleansed or justified, there needs to be a judgment, an investigation to take place to see who are the righteous and who are the wicked. Okay? Now, I'm going to draw something up here that I want you to see that is going to line up perfectly with our principle of repeat and enlarge. Repeat and enlarge. Now, let's just go through this again. In Daniel 2, Daniel 7, and then we got Daniel 8 and 9. We find the principle of repeat and enlarge. We have Babylon. Who comes next? Medo-Persia, then Greece, then Pagan Rome. we got to distinguish that now. And then Papal Rome. And then Second Coming slash Judgment. Okay? Because we see that in all the chapters. Because a stone really was a judgment, wasn't it? Now, in Daniel 2, let's go through this again real quick what was represented by Babylon. Gold, and then silver, then brass, iron, iron and clay, and then what? Stone. Daniel 7, what do we have? Huh? Lion, then bear, leopard, Dreadful and terrible beast. And then? Little horn. And then what? Fiery throne. Okay. Really? In reference to what? Judgment. Then now we see in Daniel 8 and also 9. What? There's nothing from Babylon. It's off the scene. And then next we have Ram. He goat, little horn, and then little horn. Okay, that's good. Horn. Uh, I mean, Roman. It's two phases, pagan and papal. And then what do we see? Cleansing of the sanctuary. See that? That's the event that takes place right after it, and it's clear based upon the repeat and large. Why judgment needs to play, take place 
before God can justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. And before you can justify a place, we read in Deuteronomy that judgment needs to take place. And on top of that, after that, we're seeing what? No more remembrance of sins on God's part and even our part. So we're seeing the blotting out of sins. And this is clear. The cleansing of the sanctuary really is related to judgment. But we're getting more detail. But the most detail we found was in Daniel 7. In relation to that fiery throne, three books being opened. So we're beginning to understand why these details are brought in. Especially in relation to judgment. And now we know why the name Daniel means what? God is my judge. So judgment is really the big picture that's coming out again. And really, if we're looking at our time now, 1844, if judgment began then to justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, it began with Adam and Eve, the first people on this earth. When is it going to come down to our time? Sometime soon, maybe. But since 1844, October 22, God, especially Jesus Christ, has been in the most holy place. He moved from the holy place and he went into the most holy place, which we call the anti-typical day of atonement. And he's been looking through the records, the record of sin, the book of life, and the book of remembrance. And he's been going through, oh, he didn't ask for forgiveness. Blot him out of the book of life, he will be condemned as a wicked man. But this man, he asked for forgiveness, he got on his knees and he repented and he changed his life. It's all written here. His name's in the book of life. Justified the righteous. This is exactly what Jesus Christ is doing right now, even as we speak. He's doing an investigation. And he needs to do it because there's an accuser. His name is Satan. And so God has these books to show, the, especially Satan, that these are the people that have the right to enter into heaven. This is the purpose of the investigative judgment. This is the point or the meaning of the 2300 days. To establish that date, we needed Daniel chapter 9. There were a lot of details there. But if you miss judgment in this, you miss the whole point of Daniel chapter 8 and chapter 9. What God was trying to tell us, look, 1844, that is when I'm going into the most holy place, that is when I'm beginning judgment. The whole point of this vision that Daniel could not understand was investigative judgment. But now we understand the reason why Daniel prayed the way he did in Daniel chapter 9. I want you to go back and read over that. Daniel prays for the sanctuary. He prays for remission of sins. Lord, we have sinned against thee. We transgress against thy holy Lord. You know, he's interceding on behalf and he realizes why. Because the sanctuary has been trodden underfoot. The sanctuary has to, is going to be justified. And oh Lord, I don't want to be found with sin in my life, I pray that none of the children of Israel would be. You see that? So he thought that when he looked at the 2300 days on the cleansing of the sanctuary, immediately he thought of what? Day of Atonement. And if we had sin in our life, God was going to cut you out. So that was what Daniel was thinking about. And so he's praying, Lord, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. Remember your covenant with us. And so now we understand the prayer of Daniel. Because he understood the day of atonement, the day of judgment 
But of course, that didn't happen in this time. Literally, the sanctuary still existed, but today, we don't have that anymore. Today, we are living in the anti-typical day of atonement. Type has met anti-type. That high priest that went in, who, who was Aaron there in Leviticus 16, is now symbolized by Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to show you that Jesus Christ now is our high priest. We have no man on this earth that we have to confess our sins before. Hebrews 2.17 Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 9 verses 7 and 11. I'm just giving you text to show you that Jesus Christ is our high priest today. Hebrews 9 verse 7 But into the second went the high priest alone once a year. Talks about the high priest. Now jump with me down to verse 11. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So Jesus Christ is our high priest. What was he to do there? Hebrews 9, 22 to 24, we read this. At the end there, in verse 22, to make a remission of sins. Why? So that we do not remember our sins anymore. So Jesus Christ has entered into the high priestly work. The antitype that was typified by the type in Aaron and the sanctuary service in Leviticus chapter 16. But now Jesus Christ is that high priest. He's making remission of sins. He's cleansing the heavenly sanctuary, which has our sins recorded there. So what do we have to be doing today? We've got to be doing what the Israelites failed to do. Make an end of transgression and an end of sin. Friends, we need to have victory over sin. Do not ever let anybody tell you that you cannot or it's not important to have victory over sin. You're going directly against what Jesus Christ is trying to do for you right now. He says, it says in the Bible, He liveth to ever make intercession for us. He's pleading on our behalf that our sins may be blotted out. But what are we to do? Leviticus 16, let's go back there. Leviticus chapter 16. Pardon me, 23. Leviticus chapter 23. Referring to that other chapter which also talks about the Day of Atonement. Leviticus chapter 23 and starting with verse 27. Remember, there were two things that we had to be doing. Otherwise, if we did not do that, we would be cut off. Leviticus chapter 23, starting with verse 27. Also on the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be in holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Verse 28. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. So ye shall be doing no what? Work. Verse 29, For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. So what do we have to do? Afflict our soul. Verse 30, And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among the people, his people. So there are two things that we have to be doing. 
afflicting our soul and doing no work. I'm going to leave this with you to go back and research. What is your responsibility to God? If it is so important, friends, I encourage you to go back and look through the Bible. What does it mean to afflict your soul and to do no work? And you'll find a very clear answer from there. But simply put, we need to make an end of sins today. Why? What happened when the sins were being cleansed and they had finished cleansing? What happened after that? Aaron took off his garments. Jesus is going to take off his garments, his high priestly garment one day. Let's go to Isaiah 59. I want to show you this. Isaiah chapter 59. Verses 15 through 18. It is clear here. We're living in this time of judgment. That is what Daniel 8.14 tells us. Now in verse 15 of Isaiah chapter 59, it says, Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. Truth fails, he that what? Departs from evil, makes himself a prey. So somebody is persecuting the righteous. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. No more judgment. That means Day of Atonement is finished. Cleansing of the sanctuary has finished. Verse 16. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Why was there no intercessor, no judgment? Garments of judgment have been taken off. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of what? Vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. When Jesus takes off his high priestly robe, when he has finished judgment, when there's no more intercession, he puts on the garments of what? Vengeance. Why? To recompense those that brought evil upon you, on you, upon the righteous. Why? Because in Revelation chapter 22, verse 11, it tells us there's a day that's coming when the holy shall remain holy, the righteous shall remain righteous, the filthy shall remain filthy. Why? Because Jesus Christ has left the most holy place. He's taken off His mediatorial garments, His high priestly robe. There's no more intercession. There's no more remission of sins. There's no more forgiveness of sins. Those that sin after that period when Jesus comes out, they're sinners forever. That's it. Those that are righteous, they'll remain righteous. Those that are filthy, remain filthy. There are clearly two groups. Now, in Romans 12, 19, we read this. And then after that, we're going to end with one more text. Romans 12 and verse 19. We need to understand this because in Daniel 12, 1, it tells us there's a day coming when Michael shall stand and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. And we're gonna, it's going to become clearer why this verse is mentioned in relation to Daniel 10, 11, and 12 as we study it later. But there's a time of trouble coming where God's righteous people will be persecuted. We see this in Matthew 5. Persecution exists. It will exist in the last days that live righteously and godly. But in Romans 12 and verse 19, we're told, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, 
vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Jesus will stand up with his robes of vengeance, his garments of vengeance one day, and put trouble back on those that troubled you. He will repay. So if you're persecuted today, that's fine. Remember, judgment will end soon, and God will put, Jesus will then put on his garments of vengeance, and he will repay those that troubled you. But lastly, 2 Peter. This is almost like a sermon, but <laughs> I, I just wanted to make it clear in your mind, you know. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So there's going to be a day when ungodly men are going to persecute us. Verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord a thousand as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Why? So that He may blot out our sins at the end of the day. Verse 11, but the lay day of the uh, verse ten, pardon me. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Daniel two tells us that stone is the second coming of the Lord. But before he comes, he's going to have what? Judgment. This talks about second coming, and we realize that judgment has already taken place. Now, verse eleven. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Friends, we are living in the time of judgment today. Daniel 8.14 is what points it out clearly to us. Since 1844, for almost 162, 63 years, 62, it'll be 162 years and four days. For 162 years, Jesus Christ has been ministering in the heavenly sanctuary. And He's trying to blot away sins. He's trying to blot away our sins. With this understanding in mind, what sort of person ought you to be? How should you live your life? What sort of words should you be speaking? How should you be treating others? Are you getting your life ready for the second coming of the Lord? The day of judgment is upon us. If you miss this point, you've missed the whole point of Daniel 8 and 9, especially verse 14. Because in Revelation 14 verse 7, it tells us, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of judgment is come. It's here, friends. The reason why we should be fearing the Lord and giving glory to Him is because the hour of judgment is come. So it would do you well now to go back and study out what it really means to fear God and to give glory to Him. Because we are living in the time of judgment now. May God help us to understand this message clearly so that we can order our lives according to it and we can help others to order their lives according to it so that they can have their sins blotted out at the end of the day. Let's kneel for prayer.
<clears throat> Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us this prophecy in Daniel. Lord, we see what the meaning of the cleansing of the sanctuary is now. We are living in the time of this cleansing, Lord. And especially tonight, you're speaking to our hearts. You want us to put away our sins, O Father. And I pray that you would, by your grace and your strength and your help alone, for Lord, we cannot do it on our own selves. But yes, Father, there is a part for us to play. Help us to make an end of sins in our lives today, that we may be able to to stand in this time of judgment and that we can lead others to Thee. Bless us, I pray, in Jesus' name. 